Good morning. It is such a blessing to be here this morning. I'm so humbled that Pastor Matt has allowed me to stand in his pulpit and share with you. But I need to give you all a little warning. I usually am not up here alone. I teach with a translator. So if there's short sentences with long pauses in between, it's because I'm waiting for the translation in my head. Um, no, but in all seriously, I'm, I'm really honored to be here and, and share from God's Word with you. Um, it, it's kind of a surreal moment for me to, to be here and, and teaching. Um, it, I would have <laughs> never thought when I first walked into Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz that I'd ever be teaching. I'm sure a lot of other people thought that too. But me being here is just a testimony to God's grace and of how the, the Word can transform a life. Um, I'll be sharing from Mark chapter 3 this morning. Years ago, I heard a, a message from Mark chapter 3 that really encouraged and, and blessed me. So whenever I get an opportunity, I try to go to this text and encourage others as well. But I think I want to begin first just telling you there's a lot of new faces. And I want to tell you guys just kind of how we got to Peru and what the Lord is doing. Uh, whenever we run into people or talk to people, the, the question always comes up is, how did you end up to per in Peru? So I kind of want to give uh, the background to that. Um, I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. When I was 16, a, a friend of mine in invited me to go to church, and, and that morning I went to church. And I made a profession of faith. But it was in a very hyper-Pentecostal church. It, it was during the time of what is known as the Toronto Blessing, which is uh, a non-biblical movement. It was full of emotionalism and experience. And see, my, my life never really changed because I never grew in the truth of God's word. Matter of fact, in, in certain areas, it actually grew worse. I was living my life thinking I was a Christian. But when I looked at the New Testament, I realized I wasn't a Christian at all. I wasn't what the New Testament declares a Christian. And as time went on, went on I got plugged into an emerging church. I was living in immorality, in sin. And then for eight years, I was in a church that um, I had no, I never felt uncomfortable by living in sin because of this church I was in. To be honest, sometimes it's almost as if they encouraged sin. I could live in the world, but still be under the blanket of Christianity. Um, later on, I, I got married to Nicole. And we had our first daughter. And Nicole, she's, she's not from Santa Cruz. Um, she moved here and she, she got plugged into the church and had friends. And, and she even helped start the women's ministry at this church. But as life was going on, I, I was flat. I was tired of how I was living. And one weekend, we were up visiting Nicole's parents. And we went into Calvary Chapel, Sonora. And I went in, I sat down, and I heard the Word of God preached. And the Spirit of God just opened my heart. And I began weeping. And it wasn't emotionalism. You know, I knew what emotionalism was. I came out of that. This was different. This was the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and breaking my heart. And as we drove back to Santa Cruz that, that, uh, that Sunday, I said, hey, hey, Nicole, maybe we should find a Calvary Chapel. And she's like, yeah, maybe. 
Next Sunday comes around, and we went right back to our emerging church, though. And, and the pastor, he, he didn't even open up the Bible. He quoted one verse all out of context and was just talking nonsense. And I told Nicole, hey, you know what? We're done. I'm never setting foot in that church again. And, and for Nicole, it was a lot harder. I mean, she, she was very connected there. She had friends there. She, she had deep roots there. But for the first time, I led my family spiritually. And the next weekend, we ended up walking through the doors at Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz. And from the Lord, there, the Lord just gave me this hunger for His Word. And through His Word, the Lord began to change me and, and transform me and, and mold me more and more into the image of Christ. And He is still molding, molding, and molding. But the Lord was just pouring into me. I went out, I bought an iPod, and I started downloading Bible sermons and Bible teaching. Um, I, I was just soaking it in. I, I started buying commentaries and books on theology and church history and and, um, you know, I would leave to go to work two or three hours early. And I didn't tell Nicole I was doing this, but I would do that to go read and, and, and study and, and listen to sermons. Well, after a couple years of doing this, um, I got busted. Because my brother-in-law, Don, who many of you know, he, he's serving in Peru with us right now. Uh, I, we used to work together. And one night, one evening, Nicole calls over there. He's like, Don, that's, what, what's going on? You're not at work. Are, are you hurt? What's, what's going on? She's worried, you know, and Don's like, work? We don't start till eight tonight. I had left at like five, and she's like, Ryan, what are you doing? So guys, I recommend don't doing that. Let your wife know if you're going to study. But as I reflected on my life, I was so saddened by all the years that I wasted, all the time that I could have been Learning of Christ and learning the nature of God and, and drawing closer to Him, I wasted. I lost so much time because I chose to put myself in a church where the gospel was absent, where, where, where the Word of God was not the authority. But I had no excuses. There, there, you know, there's three Calvary chapels within 10 minutes of, of our house. Within an hour, there's probably eight, and there's plenty of other Bible teaching churches, I had no excuses. And then I started thinking, what about the people who don't have that option? What about the people who don't have that option? What about the people where there's no Bible teaching churches? What about them? And the Lord just gave me this burden for these types of people. And he began to stir my heart. And as he stirred my heart, I remember asking, Lord, what can I do? Lord, I am just a knucklehead. I've blown it my whole life. I can't do anything. I can't do this. And the Lord said, you know what, Ryan? You are a knucklehead. <laughs> and you can't do this. But I can do it through you. What an amazing God we serve. We, we serve a God who wants to use us. I tend to argue that salvation is God's greatest work. And he wants to use us in his plan of salvation. And then he blesses us and rewards us. And it's not even us that is doing the work. It's him doing it through us. That is the God we serve. How can you not just want to start praising his name right now? 
We are just vessels. We just need to be tools in his hands. What an amazing God we serve. We get to take part in the work of God. Every one of us. And we don't have to be in the Andes Mountains or the middle of Africa. Wherever God has placed you and called you, you can be used by God. And as, as the Lord uh, began to stir our hearts and we begin to respond, I, I remember thinking, how am I going to talk to Nicole about this? How is this conversation going to go? Nicole, we're, we're moving. And I'm not talking we're moving from Live Oak to the west side. We are moving out of the country. I mean, we're moving to a land unknown. I'm moving her away from her family. So one night I'm like, hey, babe. <laughs> How you doing? Has the Lord been telling you anything? And to my surprise, the Lord was doing the exact same work in her heart that he was doing in mine. So through prayer and counsel and through some providential circumstances, we ended up heading to Peru. We've been in Peru now for, for three years. And it's exciting to be part of his work. Um, we're in northern Peru in the region of Cajamarca, which is about 9,000 feet up in the Andes Mountains. It's a beautiful spot that's rich in culture and history. Um, this last September, we had our two-year anniversary of Calvary Chapel Refugio. And the Lord is doing a great work and is continuing to be a beacon of truth in our community. Um, the Lord's opening doors for us to minister to the people of Cajamarca. Uh, the church is part of or supports several other ministries. Um, once a week, we offer free English classes to the community, and we've seen people coming to the women coming to women's Bible study through that, and people coming to church through that, and it's just a great way for us to serve the community, to build relationships, for them to, to allow them to get to know us and, and spend time with us, and, and for us to show, hey, we are not here to take, but we are here to give. We are here to serve you, and it's been a blessing. Um, Another ministry that we just started this year was the Lord opened the door for us to go into a state-run orphanage. And so the Lord gave us tremendous favor there. We get to spend two and a half hours twice a month loving on these kids, spending time with them, sharing the Bible with them. This is probably my favorite ministry that we're involved with. Um, it's, it's tremendous just to see the growth and the love and the excitement of some of these kids. Um, as a church, we, we do weekend outreaches, Bible study, and evangelism in some of the uh, surrounding mountain communities. Um, one of the newest members of our church is also the president of the Gideon Bible Association of Cajamarca. And we've been given, through this relationship, great access to go into the military bases, police stations, and schools. And not only pass the Bible, but to preach the gospel. Uh, Peru is a, a very Catholic country. There, there is only one church in Peru. We're, we're not a church. We're an association. But through this, we can go into these places, and we can preach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we hand them a Bible and say, check it out. This is the truth. And we get to invite them to church. So that's a great opportunity for us. Um, one other new ministry that we have just started right before we came for a visit is one of the local schools where we actually got to go into this summer because a youth team from Calvary Chapel Sonora came down and we did a kids' festival in this school. Well, they asked us if we would continue to come in on a monthly basis and have puppet shows and teach the Word of God and do crafts with these kids. And one of the teachers now is a member of the church 
She's on fire for the Lord. She's sharing the gospel with her other teachers on their breaks and on their lunches. It's amazing what God can do when you are willing. Um, I put together like a little one-minute slideshow, just showing you a snapshot in what's been taking place over the last year. Um, so you can have a visual of, of the people and the ministries that you're so faithfully supporting. Um, sometimes they say a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, well in this case, I, I think it's true. So we're going to play that right now. home a lot when we see that um so that was just a quick glimpse into what the lord is doing and and who he's ministering to um we would love for regeneration to come down and see in person uh, you know what the lord is doing um if you'd like to know anything more about it afterwards we're we're, we'd love to talk to you about it but let me just say this um it's so humbling being part of the lord's work um we're super blessed to be called the peru um we we covet your prayers and, and your support um but let, let me just say this. God is an amazing God. And he will do amazing things. He, he wants to work through you. He, he wants to use you. All it takes is for you to be willing. All it takes is an attitude like Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. And it doesn't mean he has to send you to Peru. There's people in your neighborhood, in your house maybe even, who don't know Jesus and they need to know Jesus. Just take that step. And don't think just because you're a knucklehead, you can't do it. God likes to use knuckleheads. And this morning, we're going to go to the text and, and look at a beautiful example of this from the scriptures. Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19 in our remaining time here this morning. And while you're turning it, let me just say, I love the gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark is the missionary's gospel. The the Gospel of Mark is the most translated book of the Bible, and the Bible is the most translated book of the world. It's fast-paced. It's action-oriented. And the whole time, Mark is driving us to the cross and redemption in Jesus. But this morning, I want us to see how God works through people. And through people who maybe we would least expect. 
Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. I'm reading out of the ESV. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Theodos, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who we betrayed him. Lord, as we look through this section, we ask that you would burn it to our hearts for the glory of Jesus. That, Lord, this morning we would take what you want us to take from your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, speak through your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God does things in his own way and his own timing. His work is often surprising. His work is is not done in the ways according to man, but it's often done in the most surprising ways. The prophet Isaiah, recording God's word, says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. An interesting example of this is the call of William Carey to the mission field. Two facts about Carey's life before he was called to the mission field I think are of great interest. Number one, he was allergic to sunshine. When he was seven years old, he he developed a a skin condition that would make his skin painfully irritated when exposed to the sun. Number two was he was a a, a shoemaker or a leather worker. In his biography, the question is asked, is it not surprising that someone allergic to sunshine and being a leather worker should have been sent by God to spend a lifetime in India? where the sun is constant and intense, and the working in leather is a trade that's despised. God does not do things in the way of man. We would consider Carrie in in our day of assessing whether missionaries are fit for the field, we would say Carrie's probably unfit for what he is called to do. But God knows better. And by using Carrie the way he did, only brings more honor and glory to God's name. God's ways are not man's ways. And this morning we're looking at a passage where Jesus chooses some men. They're imperfect men. They're ordinary men. They they were the lower caste of society. And Jesus chooses these men to build and start his church. And Jesus does not choose the elite. He, He does not choose the noble. Jesus didn't choose the religious leaders. There are no Pharisees among these 12. Jesus does not choose who man would consider the best of men. Let's go to our text and see these 12 men. The setting is found for us there in verse 13. And when he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So this episode begins with Jesus going up onto the mountain. And according to Luke's account of this story, there's a specific reason that Jesus goes up to the mountain. Luke tells us, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. 
And he continued all night in prayer to God. The mountain is a quiet place. It's a place of seclusion, a place away from the crowds. Mark always portrays the crowds as a hindrance to the work and ministry of Jesus. Mark has been telling us that the crowds have been pressing on him. At one point, it says they almost crush him to death. So Jesus goes to be alone. And he goes up on that mountain. And verse 13 there, it tells us that he called to him those whom he desired. Once again, we get a little insight from Luke's account. The, the parallel account is very helpful because it says this. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve to whom he named apostles. So in other words, Jesus called all his disciples, all of them, up onto the mountain where he has been praying. And out of all of them, he chose twelve to be apostles. But what, what does he choose them for? Why, why does he set these 12 apart? Well, the text tells us. Look what it says in verse 14 and 15. And he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So out of the many disciples who were on the mountain, Jesus chooses 12 who will be apostles. And no, they are chosen by Jesus. They did not volunteer. They didn't have a lottery. Who's going to be one of the 12? That's not how it worked. This is divine sovereignty at work. They did not volunteer, but they were elected by Christ for the work of an apostle. Listen to what Jesus says later on in John 15. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, Jesus says to his 12. And he chooses them based on his own desire. He, he chooses them because he wanted to. There's nothing special about them. There, there is nothing in them that is drawing Jesus to them. They are ordinary men with ordinary problems. They are inadequate. They are problem-filled. They have fear and jealousy and sin. Yet that is who Jesus chose. When we look at these 12 men, from, from the beginning to the end of the gospel, when we look at these 12 men, we see failure. There is no way anyone could ever use them to build a great institution. Unless the one who chose them could provide and continue to provide the power on which that institution would stand on. Jesus called them knowing he would empower them for the work that he is asking of them. And he chose 12, which is significant. The point is in the Old Testament, the nation Israel, God's chosen people, has 12 leaders, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Now the church in the New Testament has 12 founding apostles, the, the new chosen people of God. Now don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that God is done with Israel. I am not saying the church has replaced Israel. He has a plan and a future for Israel. But the church is the bride of Christ. And there are special promises and special blessings. And we can be a part of that. Now an apostle is one who's commissioned or appointed. Commissioned by the king to perform a certain task. 
He, he is sent with commission, with duties, with responsibilities from the king. And, and we see that in our text, don't we? We see these 12 men have been set apart to do three things. They are to do three things for the king. Verse 14, be with him. These men, are, these men are set apart from the other companions of Jesus. They are to be witnesses of the truth. They are to learn the ministry of the gospel from the master. This is so important because the word apostle, it means set apart. It has come to mean sent out. But before you can be sent out, you need to be set apart. Before we can be used by God, we need to be set apart from this world. We need to be set apart from whatever's hindering us and holding us back from serving Jesus fully. In the rabbinical practices at the time of Jesus, a disciple would spend their ever-waking moment with their teacher. The disciple is really more like an apprentice, observing and learning from the rabbi. Every ounce of energy they had, every fiber of their, in their body was now dedicated into following Jesus. So now they were getting direct and indirect instruction, formal and informal training. Jesus was not only teaching these guys by his words, but also by his lifestyle. And this is so important when it comes to our discipleship. Uh, for those of us who are discipling and being discipled, which should be all of us, discipleship happens not just in this building, it happens out there. And we need to take those who we're discipling out into the public so they can see how we react in certain situations, how we respond when, when things are tough. When I order a hamburger and it comes with mayonnaise and I hate that, they need to see, am I going to freak out on this server where I'm going to take it and show them how to respond? So important that we take what we say and put it into action. These 12 are going to carry on the ministry of Jesus once he goes back to the Father. So they need to learn from Jesus and follow his example. It was a time of preparation. By spending time with Jesus, they got to see who he is how he is, and how he does things. Church, this is exactly what we're doing right now. Every time we come here on Sunday morning or the midweek studies, we should be seeing Jesus. Every time we open up our Bibles, we should be spending time with Jesus, learning of him so we too can be like him. This is why we need to open up our Bibles. I'm not against books and devotionals. Um... But we need to open up our Bibles and see Jesus. I, I hear so many times uh, from people, I, I want to hear the voice of God. I want to see God. I want to know who God is. Yet the Bible remains closed on the coffee table. We need to open up our Bibles and see Jesus. But it does not stop there. L look what he says. He, he calls them to be with him and to learn with him. Verse 14, that he might go out and preach the gospel and have authority to cast out demons. They might go preach the gospel. Spread the truth that the Savior has come. That God has sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. To take your sins upon Himself and give you His righteousness. That no longer do we have to climb the ladder to, to get to God. No longer do we have to try to tip the scales in our favor to please God. God has come down in Jesus. He come to give 
new life. That's what they're to preach. The gospel of Jesus. And he gives them, interestingly, the authority to cast out demons. This is important because this is what Jesus has been doing. If you, if you go back and read the first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark, what has Jesus been doing? He's been preaching the Gospel and casting out demons. And now Jesus is going to surround himself by 12 others who are going to do the same. So his work will be shared and multiplied. Jesus has given them these abilities. He, he has given this power and authority to them. He has entrusted this 12 to do his work. These ordinary men. And we see confirmation of this later on in the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 6, we see Jesus has been teaching them. Jesus has been spending time with them. And Jesus sends them out. And what do they do? They preach the Gospel and cast out demons. They learn from the Master. They spent time with Jesus. They saw how He does things. They learned from Him. And now they are doing the same things. Jesus has invested in them the authority to preach and the power to cast out demons. Who are these 12, though, that Christ would choose them? That, that Christ would invest or entrust his authority and his power in them? Who are these 12? Who are these men who's been appointed? Let's, let's look at this list again. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Theodos, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I believe as we look at that list, I believe as we consider these 12 men, we are confronted by their great weaknesses. These are ordinary, broken, and imperfect men. What do we know at them? Uh, verse 16, at the top of the list, we, we have Simon, who, who Jesus renames Peter, the rock. Peter is not a rock. He's going to make the confession that Jesus builds his church on, but... Peter's not a rock. We know the story of Peter well. He denies the Lord three times. He denies that he even knows the Lord when a little girl comes and asks him. And now this is the one that's supposed to go out and preach Jesus? He can't even say, I know Jesus. Peter's not a rock. He's impulsive. He's emotional. He thinks before speaking. He's someone I identify with so well. He's a broken and sinful man. Verse 17, we have James and, and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, who, who Jesus renames uh, sons of thunder. The, 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 the term Boanerges is a Hebrew term meaning something like commotion. It means something like sons of wrath or, or sons of violence. That's who you're going to choose, Jesus? Later on in Luke chapter 9, we read and see of their tempers. They, they go out and come back and they want to call down fire from heaven and smoke a village. Jesus, do you, James and John, sons of thunder? 
In Mark 10, we read of their selfish ambition, their selfish desires. I want to sit at the right hand. I want the best seats in heaven. I, I, I. Verse 18, we have Matthew, also known as Levi, the, the tax collector. He was a rip off his own people. He worked for the occupying Roman government. He would be considered a traitor. Tax collectors were like the lowest of the lows. Yet Jesus chose him. Somewhere on that list we have uh, Thomas, who we commonly call Doubting Thomas, who would not believe that Jesus rose from the grave unless he could take his finger and put it in the wounds on the hands of Jesus. Doubting Thomas. We also have uh, Simon the Zealot. Zealot means something like patriot or enthusiast. He was a, belonged to the zealots of the time who were fervent Jewish nationalists. They, they, they were insurrectionists against the Roman government of, of the occupying rulers of the day. They were violent men. They wanted to overthrow the government by force, by violence. And when you think about that, he is an unlikely candidate to preach a gospel of repentance and belief, a gospel of peace. I mean, really, all of these men were. Yet that is who Jesus chose. Understand, here is the reality. These 12 ordinary men had great weaknesses. They lacked spiritual understanding. They lacked faith. They lacked humility. Their commitment often wavers. I mean, they fight amongst themselves. Every time I'm reading the gospel, it's always like Jesus says, hey, you guys, knock it off. But here's a great point in the text. As you go out of here this morning, if there's one thing you remember, remember this. In spite of all their weaknesses, the Lord used these ordinary, imperfect men to turn the world upside down for his glory and for his honor. The Lord employs frail, fragile, sinful men and women to bring about his good purposes. This is a unique crew. They're untrained. They're unqualified. Yet they're the ones chosen by Jesus. Think about this. If Jesus can use these 12 men to start and build his church, there is great hope. That he can use me and he can use you. You have a place in God's service. God's method is the same today. Anybody who follows the Lord can be used by the Lord. He uses ordinary broken people to further his kingdom. He can use me and he can use you. A Scottish pastor named Robert Murray McShane once said, it's not great talents that God blesses, but our likeness to Jesus. It's not great talents that God blesses, but our likeness to Jesus. It's not our talents and our giftings that matter. What matters is that God chooses us and uses us, that we are vessels and tools in his hands. That's what matters. I was reminded of the Puritan John Bunyan. 
In 17th century England, John Bunyan learned a metalworking trade from his father. He, he was known as a tinker. I had to look that up because I had no idea what it meant. But a tinker, I guess, is someone who would travel door to door and they would do repairs on silverware, forks, knives, stuff like that. I don't think there's a profession like that in the States nowadays. Uh, in Peru, we have this guy who will go door to door with this little contraption. It's like got this bicycle wheel and he has a pedal and he sharpens our knives and straightens forks and all that kind of stuff. But in 17th century England, it was a lowly profession. Uh, Bunyan had no formal education. He, he could barely read and write. Yet God used Bunyan in wondrous ways to reach his generation. Wondrous ways to preach his, the gospel. The, the, the extent of his ministry was astounding. The, his ministry is still making an impact today. His ministry has made an impact in my life. If you guys haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, please do so. Get the kids version. It's so much easier to follow along. <laughs> <laughs> but another Puritan who knew Bunyan said, when the country understood that the tinker turned preacher, they came by the droves to hear him preach. Many, many would gather to hear him from all parts of the country. They, they came from everywhere to hear him preach. The, the tinker became preacher. John Owen, who was a, a theologian and head of Oxford University, he, he was so well educated that they had to create a special degree just to give it to him. He would often go hear Bunyan preach. King Charles asked Owen, why do you go hear this uneducated metal worker preach? Owen responded, I would gladly give up all my learning for some of the tinker's power to touch men's hearts. An ordinary man, a metal worker, who was used in an extraordinary way by Jesus, who called him and changed his heart. I, I hate to tell you guys this. All of us in here are ordinary people. There are really no heroes. There are no superheroes, no super men and women of the Christian faith. Just ordinary people like these 12 apostles, like me, like you that have received God's grace. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and we'll close here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The more broken we are, the more that glory shines through the cracks. May God invest in us his authority and power to further his kingdom and reach the lost for his son. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do indeed use weak and feeble men and women to bring glory to yourself. I pray that you would invest in us. I pray that we would qualify because of the work of Christ in our lives. I pray that the work of Christ would be manifested in us. Use this church to further your kingdom. Use every one of us to bring glory to Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.